This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. Welcome to this week's guest. This week's guest is Sean Boom, and Sean is a limit pusher. His most recent long-distance finish line was the Grand to Grand Ultra, a seven-day self-supported ultra marathon stage in the Grand Canyon. Sean is an endurance athlete and adventurer from childhood. He has climbed to the top of Pico de Orizaba, a snow-capped 18,000-foot mountain, run ultra marathons on active volcanoes, raced in multiple 24-hour solo mountain bike events, and has competed in several Ironman triathlons. But more importantly, professionally, Sean has a 20-year career focused on growing businesses that help people achieve more in their lives by harnessing their mental, physical, and emotional health, providing access to education through endurance sports. Sean is presently the CEO of Venco Payments, a 300-person global social impact company focused on serving those who enrich our communities by providing tools that help organizations such as schools, nonprofits, and faith-based communities raise money and administer their operations. Uh, But the most important piece is his family. So Sean and his wife, Bethany, have been married for 19 years and live in Minnesota, where the snow melted yesterday. They're raising two strong and independent daughters, eight and six, and they call their family Team Tusk as a symbol for strength and humility, toughness, and rarity. So, Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. It's an honor uh, to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's awesome. You know, and I know we've chatted throughout the years and you're doing some some amazing stuff, you know, both professionally, athletically, pushing the limits with everything. But tell us a little bit about who Sean is. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I want to humbly inspire people to grow so they can improve their lives and improve our communities. Uh, I grew up in a small town in central Minnesota. Uh, first job was busing tables. And turns out over uh, the next 30 years, that restaurant is now owned by Garrison Keeler. So for those that are Garrison Keeler listeners, uh, we were the perfect county with the perfect kids and a uh, great opportunity. But small town taught me a lot about work ethic and more importantly, my parents taught me a lot about pride and work ethic. And uh, so I've carried that through. I got my degree in exercise physiology from the University of Wisconsin uh, in lacrosse. Uh, did not use that at all and spent the next 20 years uh, building a purpose-driven career, really trying to serve those who are showing up every day and making life better for the families in our local communities. Nice. Yeah. I've got a degree in sports science. And the only thing I do is with that is to compete. And I uh, do the executive athletes podcast with a sports science degree. Other than that, I'm a headhunter in the, in the fintech business. And like you are, you're in the fintech space as well. You never really end uh, up important that, you know, you follow your passion. I think, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, you never know where you're going to end up along the way. Exactly. And I think, you know, high performing teams and high performing individuals, I think pay very close attention uh, really to where their passions take them and find opportunity in in all those twists and turns that life uh, throw at us. And so I've been very, very fortunate to uh, use my passion for endurance sports and athletics uh, and marry that up with a purpose-driven business career. 
Nice. So talk to us a bit about some of the, you know, the, the Grand Canyon adventure you just recently had. That had to be amazing. Yeah, you know, the Grand Canyon is one of the uh, seven wonders of the world and um, certainly showed up on a massive scale there. This was uh, what they call a self-supported stage race. It's an ultra marathon. What it really means is over seven days, you're covering, uh, depending on the, the race distance, anywhere between 155 and 175 miles is typical. And so every day you wake up, you put your shoes on, you, you tow the start line, and you're typically doing a marathon or an ultra marathon. And so you go back to back. Uh, everything you need, though, for the course of the week is on your back. So it's all self-supported. And so that means food, gear, uh, anything you're going to require to make it through. And typically the race format is uh, the race directors will give you uh, just a couple of key things. They give you a tent, which looks typically like a FEMA tent uh, that you can stay in. Uh, so you run point to point from one FEMA tent to the next. They set that camp up and they give you water along the way. So everything else you pretty much have to cover on your own. And what's fascinating is you get a field of about 100 or so different participants and there's quotas from different countries, which guarantees you a multinational uh, experience. And so you'll be out on the race course with people from every corner of the world, having just these amazing conversations on the world stage. And you know, Grand Canyon is such a great place to do that. Um, How many so people the Grand to Grand Ultra was, yeah, the Grand to Grand Ultra had a, a, just a little bit over a hundred that uh, started. And you know, you'll typically see about uh, 20 or so percent drop out over the course of one of these. Um, so, you know, it's a large enough field where you absolutely get to know a lot of really unique individuals out on the course, uh, but it's also highly, highly competitive and some people make this uh, a profession. Nice. No, I know. I remember doing an adventure racing up here in Maine. It was a World Series qualifier and we had teams from France and Ecuador and Sweden and, and all over the place. And it was it was just an odd number one that you're racing with these guys, but number two is to just watch how dialed in they really are versus sort of the the hacks that we are. That's absolutely right, and I am not a front of the pack kind of guy. <laughs> I'm in the middle to to the back of the pack, so right in there with the hacks. I love the conversation and the people you get to meet out there. And what's fascinating about events like this is. You know, you change your life and your life perspective over the course of a couple of days. And you know, I think you probably feel the same thing, Ken. When you sign up and, and start a race, you are a different person when you're done. And so a week like this fundamentally changes who you are. And a lot of that is uh, because of the people that you meet along the way. So, you know, I would meet truck drivers from Australia, met the head of a bank uh, from uh, a major bank in uh, the United Kingdom, and uh, somebody that runs a fund worth um, – $10 billion. And so, you know, the, the great equalizer out on the course um, isn't about the professional experience, but it's how you conduct yourself and how you uh, tackle what's, what's in front of you. Right. Well, and that's it. And like you said, you learn a lot about yourself when you're out there too, right? You never, when you, when you're out there, you're on the road or you're on the trail, you, I loved what you said. You start as a different person than you end with. And it's amazing the context you meet and it's amazing the stories that you hear from other individuals, like you're saying, you're meeting people from all over the world, all different walks of life, but you're all brought together by one, you know, common interest or passion of beating the crap out of yourself. That's exactly right. right. And I don't know why we do that, but we organize ourselves and our life and the people around us uh, to just constantly go back and do more and more and higher and higher and harder and harder and faster and faster. So there's, there's something at the core of people like you and I. So talk to us a bit about that, you know, about the training, right? You're, you're CEO of a fintech organization, um, but how do you train? Talk to us, you know, you're, you're a family man, you have two kids, young kids. 
when do you do your training? How do you pull off training? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I think all of us that are trying to do both and try both, meaning uh, excel in our personal life, excel in our family life, as well as uh, show up very well in our professional life. Um, we've got to find you know, creative solutions all across the board. So when I'm in conference calls where I maybe don't have to be on video, I might be on the treadmill. Uh, I do not sit during the day. I'm standing at my desk right now and I don't have a chair, never, never really have at my desk. Uh, during you know times when I'm getting ready for big events like this, I'll put a 20 pound weight vest on and stand for 12 hours and work. And so I think there's a lot to be said about finding the routine and the mundane within a normal day to day and maximizing every little moment that you have. You know, outside of that, I'm probably not in the front of the pack because uh, I'm not doing the kind of mileage that the winners are doing. So I think there's, uh, there's a balance between um, trying to be the best that you can be and still living a great balanced life. So my typical mornings, five, eight miles, and then pack in some miles on the weekend. No. And I think that's really the best. If you go run hard for an hour every day or an hour and a half, it's, it's amazing how fit you can get. And as you get older too, you know that it's you sort of, we like to say you have that old man endurance. You might not go as fast, but you can go longer, longer than you ever thought possible. That's exactly right. And I think so training smart, eating smart, uh, being very intentional about your plan. Uh, like we are in our business. I think the same uh, kind of mindset that you've got to have when you're thinking about your athletic pursuits. So talk to me about your nutrition, right? When you're on a multi-day race like that and, and a stage race, are they, we'll talk about the Grand Canyon, but some of, you know, just sort of general nutrition, but is the Grand Canyon, you pack, you know, your sort of your big tote and then you, they take it from place to place for you. And that's where you grab your food and then move on to the next day. Uh, that would be a cushy kind of experience for, for <laughs> one of these stage races. So uh, quite literally, you've got a pack on your back and, uh, everything you need for that week uh, is okay. on your back. They've got requisite equipment that sits in there. Um, so your pack typically starts the week at 20 pounds and about half of that is food or calories. Uh, and the other half is your requisite equipment. Um, so, you know, what you end up doing is you pack mostly dehydrated food to get you through. And a lot of the racers, especially the elites will carry with them only the minimum, which is about 2000 calories per day. And when your average day is somewhere between 25 and 55 miles, it's not going to take you very far. So you can see that a lot of folks will go in calorie deficit. I tend to carry a little heavier pack so I can uh, bring more uh, calories with me. So I was eating more like 2,500 to 3,000 calories. Um, the typical food is what you'd pick up maybe off the shelf at uh, you know, an REI in the United States. Um, so it's camping food. And you'll repackage it all to strip away the weight of the, the um, consumer packaging. But um, when you get back to your camp, you'll take the uh, rehydrate that food and it becomes your meal. When you're out on the course, it's you know what you typically would have if you're out on a normal marathon day uh, or an Ironman. So might be goos or gels or bars, things that you can put on your hip and uh, get calories on the go. Now, and, and you know what? I've never even thought about that as sort of the whole uh, the dehydrated food thing. But if you're carrying it every day, of course, that's huge. When we're doing adventure racing, what's nice is they know you fill your box and they bring it from checkpoint not checkpoint to checkpoint but transition area to transition area so you have the ability to 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 stock up or the, the other good thing is if you're riding by a convenience store you can grab something and you keep going as long as it's available to everyone you can do that but the middle of grand canyon doesn't have too many convenience stores hanging out not too many convenience stores um but you know you learn a lot about yourself when you're running uh through depletion and it's a lot about 
uh, how you tackle a situation through your mind, because physically it's uncomfortable to go for seven days uh, at such a high performing level and not be able to nourish yourself appropriately. Um, but you learn something every time. I got a kidney stone for the first time after this race. And, you know, when I look back on my nutrition, I realized I was taking uh, far too many sodium supplements and, you know, that caused, caused an issue for me. So we'll never do that again. Um, but it's constant refinement every time, uh, you know, you do one of these, you learn. You get to learn from other people that are out there experiencing it too. I think the biggest thing is you learn what not to do versus what to do, right? It's sort of like success. People, there's so many internet millionaires out there that just happened into something and they start writing books because they somehow scored, you know, they won the lottery, but until they know what it's like to go the other way, you, you never really have that sort of true relevancy of what's happening. And I think the same thing is in sport. You know, we all know the kids who are young, who are always won and it was just easy to them for them to win. And by the time they get to you know, 15, 16, 18, they're blown out the back because now they actually have to work. And I see the same thing with, you know, master's athletes as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of, you know, one of our challenges and we want to live holistic lives as athletes, as professionals, as family people and as good friends. And so, you know, how do we uh, pay attention to the various elements that do create a, a holistic and healthy life? Um, because you don't want to flame out having done something really great 20 years ago. Right. No, and that's the crazy thing is, believe me, I know plenty of guys that, you know, and, and the worst part is the parents who think that their kids are going, you know, going to the Olympics when they're 12. And it's like, dude, the fact that they're, you know, a foot taller than anyone else has nothing to do with talent. And it's, uh, that's a tough one to, to get across to people. It's, you know, I'm sure you've seen it with an exercise phys degree as well. It's sort of the same, you know, there's plenty of beliefs there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So talk to us about the professional piece, right? So how do you bring your, you know, your fitness methodology or fitness mindset into the office? Do people think you're crazy? Is it something you do actively? Is it something, you know, that you guys talk about? What's the culture at Vanco and how do you bring that message along to the people that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our Vanco culture is amazing because of our teammates and what's really been interesting is we've combined several companies in the space over the course of the last few years. And so at the same time, we're building culture, we're marrying uh, seven different organizations in their respective 20 to 30 year uh, historical culture together. And so, you know, for me, I've actually found that this particular event, uh, while it's one of a lot that I'm really proud of, uh, this one in the grand, the grand, the grand, great gave me an opportunity uh, last fall to talk about uh, where in my mind I marry up things like grit uh, and persistence and personal growth and investment in myself and how I find that to be infinitely valuable for high performing teams as well. So, you know, when I came back from the Grand to Grand, uh, I wrote a memo to the organization and it defined uh, along with uh, my senior leadership team, the core values we wanted to embody. And I told the story about how communities can state their values, but you really don't know what the culture is until you experience it. And something like the Grand of Grand is exactly one of those things. You know, I met a guy on the way out there in the Las Vegas airport, and he was uh, wearing a backpack. It was very clear that he was there for the same uh, race. And so we chatted and, you know, he gave me a precursor to what I was going to experience in the course. He had done it before. And more importantly, he talked to me about um, how typical people um, on the race field will interact with each other and what that culture uh, values. And so those experiences both make 
a really enriching race experience because you have people that really care about you. When you translate that back to the office and you can get people to understand how um, alignment and pushing really hard against big, big goals uh, is important and it brings people together, I think you've got a really magical secret sauce. And so for me, during these times when we were working remote, one of the most important things is that we had been very intentional about investing in culture, talking about the values, and using our why statement every day to propel uh, moments of inspiration that keep us connected, even when we are remote and distance. So the experience out on the course, to me, 100% translates to uh, tough times like this, where every day you don't know what you're going to get, but it's all about who you're with and how you conduct yourself with each other. And what a lot of people think is these are individual sports, right? But more, more often than not, you end up hooking, with, hooking up with one or two people and you end up racing together and, and sort of help each other through that process. And I think there's a lot of translation into business. It's, you know, we all go in sort of as an employee and then next thing you know, you start teaming up with people that have the similar mindset or have a similar focus to what everyone else is working on. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I think when you're out in the course or wh whether you're out in the field um, in, in your business, in your organization, um, being intentional about uh, cultivating a diverse set of people to inform your experience, I think is so, so important. Um, one of my favorite stories is uh, in a recent race, uh, I was out with, uh, it was the long stage, so it was about a 53 mile day. Uh, I think it was day three out of the seven days. And maybe within the first half mile to a mile, I caught up with two guys, uh, hadn't yet had a chance to connect with. And we ended up spending the entire 50 some uh, miles together. And, you know, we saw the sunrise, the sunset, the sunrise again. And um, one was a head pastor uh, from the Church of England. And the other was a gay self-help author. And, of course, uh, part of what we do at Vanco is we support uh, churches. And so there was an interesting perspective there on that pastor's experience. We got to talk a lot about, you know, his spirituality uh, and searching. But, you know, it was fascinating to see the diversity between uh, head of a church and a self-help author uh, that is a gay homosexual man and the dynamic that uh, and relationship that got shaped uh, through sharing of experiences and perspectives and we are best friends the three of us uh, because of you know that uh, 35 hour experience together uh, is absolutely amazing so just being open to a diverse field of people around you in your life and on, uh, on the course is so important no, and being out on the course or in an adventure like that, it's, it's a great equalizer, right? Everyone's just who they are. And that's, I think, and, and for those who've never done anything like that, it's probably one of the most special things, you know, that, that you can do. And I, I was never in the service and I'm sure it's probably very similar to the people that you're, you know, you're in battle with or, or anything else. Um, you know, I've teamed up with a lot of people, you know, with two or three core people that we we know that we can go anywhere together, anywhere in the globe will be, we'll, we'll end up there ready to go, ready to race and be fit enough. And no one has to worry about anything, right? No one's checking in who's training, who's doing this, who's doing that. It's like, all right, we're going to meet in Portland at noon on June 15th, be ready to go. And that's, that's, and it's so nice to do that because you can actually trust the people that you're with and, and what they're doing. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And, you know, it's very similar here. There's Facebook groups and that sort of thing, but only a small number of people are posting and contributing in advance. And so you really show up on game day. And while you all share different preparation experiences, you kind of know what everybody went through. And so just starting 
uh, with this group of people is a huge accomplishment. Um, but then being out there and yeah, sharing those life-changing moments together and working through and processing uh, is absolutely uh, life-changing. And you know, you, you feel so grateful. And I think that's the one word that people in the field kept using over and over in the race is how privileged and grateful they felt just to have this opportunity to unplug from society for a week, be in this small, tiny little community, and uh, so importantly, be deeply authentic and vulnerable uh, because everybody's in their element and you can really show your true colors when you show up in your element. And so people were just constantly reminded of that. So it is so rare, I think, to be able to see that many people uh, be truly uniquely who they are. So talk to us, you know, and we're going to segue here a little bit into training during COVID, leading during COVID. Talk to us a bit about how you're doing that, right? How are you out training during this pandemic or how are you leading your organization? If you combine the two together, it'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, uh, much like creating a, a race preparation, um, when COVID hit and the impact of it hit on our business, uh, I sat down at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, well, so we moved our office home on Friday, March 13th, Friday the 13th. And at 4.30 the next morning, I couldn't sleep. And so I sat down and I started penning out um, and projecting out, I should say, uh, when I look back on this time within the business and within myself as a leader, how do I want to look at how I conducted myself? How do we as an organization want to look back with pride or not about how we uh, carried forward the business, made decisions, communicated? And so I put four points on a piece of paper. That weekend, we met with our board and our senior leadership team. And when we showed up on Monday for our first full day of remote work, we had a plan. And that plan started with uh, talking about what we valued and how we would make decisions when things got rough. And we set expectations that things are going to get rough. You don't sign up for a race and think it's going to go easy. Uh, that would not be life-changing. And so the same thing is, is true with, with COVID. Although you don't want to be in that situation, you can use the tools and experiences and preparation from different uh, facets of your life and bring it into business. So for us, having that plan up front was number one. We sandwiched our plan with we want to live our values and we will make decisions that support our why statement within the organization. And in between those two things, we'll find ourselves uh, in a place to drive efficiency and we will capitalize on market opportunities so we don't have to be victims of the circumstances. We wrapped a great communication plan around that. So we've got four out of the five days every single work week since then. There's a structured communication going out to the team about those points, about the decisions we're making. And so we stay deeply, deeply aligned uh, during these times. So, you know, to come back to your question, I think about race preparation very much like I do uh, preparation for a situation like we're in here with COVID, which is you got to have a plan, you got to communicate it, you got to be flexible throughout the way, but there needs to be a lot of consistency and you need a fire in your belly every single day. Uh, and that's not easy. Um, everybody's going through different experiences and emotions. Uh, we might be on the same Zoom call, uh, but we might be feeling and experiencing vastly different things. And so, you know, a lot of this then is how do you wrap uh, high levels of EQ uh, into the organization and the cultural threads? And that means we've got to be vulnerable as leaders first, so our team feels safe showing up as their authentic self every day. And I love what you're saying, sort of the authentic self. And I think I think that's one thing that's going to come out of this for a lot of people is sort of that authentic self, right? They're going to either find or refine who they are because they have actually an opportunity to do it, right? And good or bad, you know, sometimes you never know what comes out at the other end, but 
there's opportunity. And I think there's unique opportunity for people to you know, start getting back in shape, even though we're four months into this and it seems like we're sort of going, going to be going back and hiding anyways. So it's, um, but there's opportunities to really be seen to really say, Hey, let's, you know, how can we move forward? How can we become better than we were? Number one, number two, I think it's going to help a lot of people with, you know, sort of the health piece. It's people aren't eating out as much. You're not eating as much crap. You're not, you know, I remember the first restaurant I went to after this whole thing, it was like, really, I used to eat that stuff. And it just tastes like it's gross. It's like, this is unbelievable, but it's, you know, it's, there's unique opportunities there to, to see how can, how can you become better? And you don't have to go out there and write a book. You know, there's all these people go write a book, go do that. And it's just here. How can you be one, two, 5% better without that commute that you have in the morning? Absolutely. And if you don't have to sign up for something so massive and you can commit to a 1% improvement constantly over time, we become so much better uh, as humans. And I think that's absolutely right. You know, so after this Grand Canyon race, um, when, so I mentioned I had a, a kidney stone, when they scanned for the kidney stone, they caught a little glimpse of my lungs and they noticed nodules on there. And so it was one of those uh, really scary moments for actually, you know, a number of days, but then turned into a number of months. Um, and so it turns out it's this thing called sarcoidosis, which is uh, inflammation of the lungs. And so when COVID hit, uh, I was staring down a prescription to uh, start taking prednisone uh, and steroids. And I really didn't want to have to go through that because it seemed to be uh, contraindicated with, um, uh, with contracting COVID. And so it was a really scary moment to go from one of my athletic highs uh, to one of my deepest lows and fears while this world was kind of collapsing around us at, at the time. And so, you know, for me, I said, I'm going to take take control of this. My 1% at that moment was I, I don't want to do prednisone. I'm going to focus on my eating in a way that I never have before. So, you know, I followed a protocol. I stripped out all the inflammation causing foods. I did it for 90 days. I felt amazing uh, after those 90 days. Hopefully the next scan will show that, that it worked. Uh, but I think we all have the opportunity to pick one little thing like that, whether it's, you know, something really scary or something just motivating and inspiring and say, Let, let's, let's make ourselves better during these times. Um, you know, people are talking about getting the COVID-15 and, you know, I think it's really important that it might be funny banter, but we have the opportunity to truly use our time in very intentional ways if we decide to do it. And if anyone's watching, I spilled water all over myself. So I'm, my, uh, my, my sexiness of the afternoon is, is now wet. But with that being said, talk to us about what's the, what's the next adventure? Where are you guys going? You know, what are you doing next? What's on the docket? Yeah, so uh, there's another similar race to the Grand to Grand that uh, I am eyeballing right now. It's called the Mana to Mana. Uh, it'll happen on the big island of Hawaii. Uh, I did their inaugural back in 2017, and uh, they're going to show up again here in 2021. So if I can convince uh, my wonderful wife, who always supports uh, my massive aspirations uh, to go do this kind of stuff, that uh, this is a good idea, uh, and I get the good doctor's clearance, then we'll probably go ahead and do something like that. Um, for now, though, I'm Loving just you know, focusing on the family, uh, taking care of myself, uh, focusing on the business and our teammates and making sure that you know, everybody around me is getting what they need uh, to feel successful and be uh, in a position to thrive during these times. You're going to have to start swimming, too, if you're going to get to Hawaii. So that's your, uh, that's your next thing. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, maybe I'll come out your way. It seems like you've got a beautiful uh, open water training we uh, do. Right we do actually, but there was a first shark killing in the state. I think I was telling you, first in history, just happened yesterday, ten miles down from us. So, craziness, crazy times that's out there. The next or the uh, 
I said, I was talking to a buddy of mine right before this. It's like, we're living in the hunger games and it certainly feels like it, but um, oh, that's, uh, that's really, feel, really fine. So true. Yeah. Here in Minnesota, we don't have sharks in the lake, yep. uh, but we got these little sunfish. They're about this big and they like to nibble on you a little bit. So. There you go. So tell us, you know, we're coming up here on a half hour and could just keep hearing adventures and ever adventures, but tell us a little bit about where they can find you, where they can check out Sean Boom, check out your business. Love to hear that. Absolutely. We are uh, online at vancopayments.com. Love to hear from anybody that's out there. Certainly uh, I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, We'll take, you know, private messages and such. I publish my cell phone number there. Um, But, you know, our mission every day is to show up and and serve those who are enriching our communities. And uh, to the extent that your school or serving schools, um, community organizations, churches, nonprofits, um, this is the time for, community organizations to shine and that's where we want to spend our time so we'd love to hear from anybody that's trying to look at the situation happening around us and say you know you get a passion to bring equity uh, or opportunity or access to those that are underprivileged underserved uh, and need some help um, this is a time for us to do great uh, work in this world awesome sean and and it's been an honor to have you on listening to your stories. I, I'm just so passionate about the business side of the, this whole thing, the sports side of it and how everyone pulls it together. And it seems like you've got it figured out. So nice work. And it was great to have you. Thank you very much. Nobody's ever got it figured out. I have a wonderful team uh, surrounding me and a wonderful supportive family, uh, great role models and my parents and, and others in my life. So I feel very blessed. And, uh, you know, I've been following your, your show here and really appreciate what you're doing as well. So thanks for a humbling opportunity to have a bit of a chat. No, thank you. And thank you for being part of it. And to all the listeners that are out there, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe. Um, would appreciate it. We've got amazing guests, including Sean and what is it? 130 others at this point. It's been a, it's been a great ride, but for everyone that's listening, hopefully the pandemic's over when this comes out. We don't know if it will be or will not be, but keep on going, crushing it, making it happen. Your own virtual race in your head because you're racing yourself anyways. So just keep on keeping on, guys. Thanks for listening.